0: Welcome to Out of Curiosity. Consider us your field guide for queer pride. You will hear from the best of the best in terms of queer business leaders, queer relationship experts, the activists working to protect us all, and everyday LGBTQ people that have figured a few things out so you don't have to. Out of Curiosity is brought to you by the Pride and Joy Foundation. Let's do this. Welcome back to Out of Curiosity, the podcast for Pride and Joy Foundation. I am your host, Elena Joy, pronounced she, her. Pride and Joy Foundation is a nonprofit whose mission is to prevent suicide and homelessness in our LGBTQ community. One way we do that is by supporting parents and community leaders of LGBTQ youth with the information, tips, and tricks they need to increase safety and well being for our next generation of queer leaders. Pride & Joy Parents is the program that makes that happen with quarterly online events. Through these events, we make support and learning accessible and safe for parents and community leaders, especially in rural areas where attending a Pride Center event might not be feasible. Today's episode features our latest Pride & Joy Parent event and the biggest one so far in 2023. We had over 100 people register and most of them joined us live. Held on May 16, 2023, this event featured a panel of LGBTQ experts dedicated to helping parents learn how to use Pride Month to increase safety for our youth in June and the rest of the year. This is easily the most high-powered, well-known panel we have ever hosted. I can't wait for you to hear the magic that was created that night. So much queer joy to be found and felt. We have to give a shout out to Gamma Move Foundation for providing the funding to promote this event. We also thank the Peloton Pride ERG plus their parent ERG for their generous support. Lastly, we thank our Pride and Joy heroes, Renew PR, the Storytellers Porch Podcast, and Dr. Gertrude Lyons. You can find more information about them in our show notes, as well as all the links you hear mentioned in this episode. Our Director of Operations C. Rizleris, pronounced they-them. We'll introduce everyone and kick us right off. Thank you for being here, fam. Let's do this. Thank you, everybody, for being here. This is one of our biggest Pride and Joy
1: parent events so far. I would like to just introduce our amazing, incredibly talented panelists that we have here, starting with Junior Mint, she, her pronouns, and she's out here to show how minty the world can be. With a little kindness, empathy, and a strong Black, trans, queer perspective, she is the creator of Minty Makeup, which is now on sale at over 650 JCPenney stores and has been featured in Vogue Beauty, The Cut, Thrillist, ID, and Gay Letter for the work that she does on stage and in our community. She is co-host of the Brooklyn Liberation March and the creator of her own talk show, The Junior Mint Show and her monthly drag show in living color no matter what classroom set club or runway you experience junior mint you will leave feeling motivated and embraced you can find her on instagram and venmo at junior mint and i'll leave all of these in the chat for you all next up we have ray mcdaniel pronouns they them a non-binary speaker Author, therapist, certified sex therapist, coach, and transgender diversity and inclusion educator, Ray helps audiences gain the audacity to become both lit up and liberated. Ray is also the founder and CEO of Practical Audacity and gender and sex therapy practice in Chicago, serving over three hundred clients yearly. You can pre-order their upcoming book, which drops May thirtieth, um, "Gender Magic," and I will make sure to get that link to you in the chat after I introduce everybody. Um, next up, we have Kalila Josephs, pronounced they she, is a popular speaker who inspires audiences to live their purpose and is a queer spiritual coach who helps families of color understand how to integrate LGBTQ plus culture into their family culture. You can book your next call or speaking engagement with K- Kalila here. I will drop that in the chat. Excellent speaker. We've had podcasts with Kalila as well, um, and then our one and only volunteer executive director, Elena Joy. She, her, she's an ex-Mormon mom of four kids who spent decades as a stay-at-home suburban minivan mom and spoke about coming out to her teenagers in her viral TEDx talk. She's also featured in the award-winning documentary Conversion and is our volunteer executive director here at the Pride and Joy Foundation. Representing every straight parent who ever had questions about race or sexual orientation or gender identity, but didn't know how to ask in a way that didn't make them feel like a jerk, is our panel moderator, Sarah Dean of the Shameless Mom podcast. She has curated an audience of 10,000 plus parents who are motivated to learn new skills, including anti-racism and authentic LGBTQ plus allyship. So thank you all for being here. We are very excited. I'm going to hand it off to you, Sarah.
2: Thank you. Oh, so excited to be here when Elena reached out to me and suggested that maybe this would be happening and would I be interested. It was definitely a like jump up and down and scream yes, really loud moment. So I'm really excited that we get to be here. And there's folks here who I've had the opportunity to do podcast interviews with before. Shout out to Elena and Ray, and then new friends who I'm getting to meet for the first time. So I'm just really honored to be on such a fantastic panel um, of leaders and mentors of the LGBTQ community. I also just want to say to folks joining and listening and learning tonight, give yourselves a little big inhale and a big exhale and feel really proud of yourself that you are stepping into this conversation with an open heart and ready to listen and ready to learn. It says a lot about who you are that you would show up for this conversation, whether it is 4, 15 p.m. where you live, like me on the West Coast, or if it's 7 p.m. on the East Coast um, and you have little kids that are running around trying to take baths or, and you're getting out of bath time, by the way, good job with that. Or you're somewhere else in the world or living in a different circumstance, but you're just really committed to being a part of this conversation. Please know that it matters a lot that you're here. And we're so grateful that you are. We were going through how to start this conversation. And as someone who does a lot of interviewing, I was like, okay, like we can warm them up with these questions and this question. And then Elena was like, or we could just like start right in with talking about drag and everyone else was like, okay. And Junior Man was like, yeah, so we're going there first. And I first of all want to say this is an important place to start because this is where the conversation's already happening and where so many of the questions exist. And we also want to make sure that we are centering really what is front and center in the news, in communities, what is front and center in terms of safety and a lot of not and a lack of safety in our um, local communities right now. So to kick us off, Junior Mint, can you help us? What is drag? What is it not? Can you help us start to demystify drag?
3: Absolutely. Drag, first and foremost, is an art form. It is a queer form of expression and artistry that has been going on before there was ever a word for drag because one of the first things that human beings ever did was begin to decorate their bodies. And at some point, somebody said, men wear this, women wear this. And then it became structural. And throughout the entire history of humanity, we have been dressing up. We have been playing with the boundaries. And most of the people who haven't been to a drag show may think of it simply as you're in hair, wig, nails, lip syncing to a top 40 pop song. But drag is so much more expansive than that. Drag is something that personally we do it every day. When you wake up and you decide how you're going to decorate this beautiful vessel of your body and walk out the door, it's in the hopes that people will see you as who you are. And the thing about drag is it is a true homage to all of the things that make an individual an individual. So for example, my drag is very centered on my Blackness. It's very centered on Black exploitation films of the 70s. It's centered on science fiction and all of the characters within that that have inspired me. And so I kind of blend them together and get to exude a part of myself that I don't get to wear every day of my life. And I think that no matter what artist, you love in music you can probably point out an example of drag from elton john who um is giving you flamboyant feathers to bob dylan who is a picture of masculinity that is just as much drag as the feminine version of it because there's drag is so expansive there's drag kings there's drag queens there's drag things so there's drag monsters it can be truly be expansive when you stop thinking about gender in terms of one category or the other and start thinking of it as a spectrum and so drag is not grooming drag is an art form the same way that Basquiat used a paint and newspaper on canvas we are decorating our bodies and using our bodies as the canvas and yeah I would say I think that's an expansive version of drag I think I I nailed that I think (laughs)
2: I mean, I would agree, but I appreciate that you were just like, and I nailed that, so we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much and I think that that was such a beautiful explanation. See, I think that you have some experience working with youth and drag. Can you talk a little bit about that? If you're I know you're also doing tech in the background, so let us know if it's a good time to pop in.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I um I perform just for the fun of it here in North Carolina and recently we did We did a boy band performance with some of the youth for their alt prom and it was me and them and we put it together. And when I tell you how much joy and just queer joy that was had that night and to see some of these kids go from being really shy to just a whole different person on stage, embodied, confident, it just was, I have chills. And then I kid you not. Three days later, there was um, in North Carolina, one of the bands for drag and, and being around with youth. And so I've been mentoring, you know, I've done this before and it's not, it's not grooming. It's It's empowering, it's confidence building, it's accessing parts of yourself that you might not have access to. So that's all I have to say about
3: that. I completely agree. And oftentimes as a kid who was bullied growing up, drag was the first time I got to like heal the kid within me because for the first time I got to step outside of how I viewed myself and say, who do I see myself as? And I saw myself as all of these amazing, powerful black women in television and film that I grew up loving. And it, yeah, you get to get in touch with pieces of yourself that you usually can't, or maybe even pieces you didn't over there. We're killing it. We're killing it.
4: And Sarah, if I could pop in as well, that's okay. Please. What I love about this conversation, first of all, spot on, y'all, you're doing great, is that I think that junior and c are pointing out the two different facets of drag when we think about it it's the theater right the performance of drag for an audience which is right now what everybody is kind of up in arms about and then there is the drag of everyday life of how we want to express our gender and number one drag as a performance is theater and like any theater there are ratings of family friendliness. And in some settings, it might not be appropriate for certain age groups. Absolutely. That's why they aren't allowed into 21 plus bars at midnight. And there are a lot of performances that are just like any sort of of theater. The other part that is the scariest part of this for me personally, is that the drag that is our everyday experience of gender expression, banning that is not new, right? Laws were happening as early as the 1860s, that at least I'm aware of, banning drag in public spaces, which sim- simply meant things like um, a somebody who was assigned female at birth, like myself, wearing men's clothing, which would be a suit jacket Pants, oh, pants. And that used to be illegal. And I am, I'm nervous that the direction that we're headed is back in that direction where it is not just about drag as a performance, but it is about gender expression that is in any way gender nonconforming to what our, our current standards or our rule book is.
2: Ray, that's a perfect segue into the next kind of piece of this conversation that I wanted to dig into. I think there's when we think about our kids and how our kids want to express themselves. To your point, there is expression that is theatrical and that is, you know, part of the the arts, if you will. Um, and then there is like expression in everyday life. And as we are parents raising children and wanting to be conscientious um, around how we can let our children live. Freely and also as safely as possible. How can we engage in healthy and supportive conversations with our kids around gender identity?
4: Such a juicy question. And there's so much I could say to this. Is that why you wrote a whole book on it? Yeah. You know, it's like (laughs) I wrote a whole book or something. Um, (laughs) The first thing I would say is to take a a deep breath because none of you are here because you don't want to support your kids, right? You wouldn't be here anyway. And It's okay to make mistakes. In fact, I just want to get that out of the way. You're gonna screw up and that is okay. The important thing is that when you do make a mistake that you learn from it and that you correct it as quickly as possible and you try not to make that mistake again in the future. But what I see that is a shame is for anybody, but in particular parents who are afraid to mess up or say the wrong thing with their kid, it actually will will create some distance, right? It will keep you from being able to engage with your, your child in the way that you really want to. And I think that's a shame. And I would invite you to, to be in the messy middle and to be okay with making mistakes because it's worth it to connect with your your, your kid. One of the things I would say is center celebrating their exploration of themselves. We all know, how scary it can be to be an lgbtq person in the world to be someone who's exploring gender or trans or non-binary we know that already we we got it what we need are people who are celebrating who we are so if your your child comes to you and wants to talk about gender or says they're exploring gender the first thing to do is celebrate with them Tell them how excited you are that they are exploring a part of themselves because ultimately that's what we all want as parents is we want our our kids to be authentic in the world. At least that's what I hope that you want. And part of that authenticity is standing beside them and celebrating them on their journey when it comes to, to exploring gender. Uh, To bring it from up here down to earth, some really practical things that I would say is use basic active listening skills. You would be shocked at how far this goes. So I think people can get stuck in their heads not knowing what to say or how to respond. If you get in that place, just listen a little harder. You can ask questions like, what's that like for you? Can you tell me more about that? It sounds like X, Y, Z. Is that right? Am I, am I understanding you correctly? And then is there anything else that you want to share? Am I missing anything? And that alone will go a huge way. The last thing that I'll share is helping your, your kids, your youth with develop some self-efficacy. We know that there are tons of laws that are being passed that are limiting medical care for transgender youth. And, you know, we're doing all we can to push back, but some are already passed. And so that is leaving a lot of youth feeling very helpless and very hopeless. So in order to help your, your kids and youth move through that, it's helpful to orient them towards action and actively being a part of gender exploration. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, taking any steps that don't feel right for them at that time or rushing anything, but it does put them back in this mindset of how can we find the things that feel good for you now that you are, unfortunately, legally allowed to do, and how do we build on that? How do we help help you create a gender expression with you know, given whatever limitations you have, where you can fully be yourself as much as possible right now.
2: Elena, I see your hands. And I also, Kalila saw you nodding, ready to say something. So one of you want to dive in?
5: I'll just
2: quickly
0: say, like, from a parent perspective, there is something, and I just want to name the elephant in the room. There's something about giving Birth to a baby who you might have known, known their gender while you were pregnant, right? And you started connecting with that baby via that gender while you were pregnant. And then, right, childhood happens and you are connecting with that child through that perspective, that lens of I'm my gender and that's their gender, right? And right, it's so much in our vernacular, our daughters, our sons, right? We only have those binary options. And so it makes sense to have this incredible sense of panic when your child comes to you and tells you they're exploring their gender identity, because it's knocking so much stuff in your brain around. I mean, it's literally the wiring in our brain that that's how relating to that kid. So it totally makes sense if you feel a sense of panic, if you feel any kind of negative feelings. And I don't want any parent to feel like they need to cover that up with, oh, I shouldn't feel any negative feelings. That means I'm not a good ally or I'm not a good parent or I'm not a good advocate for my kids. Like don't let that shame be there. It makes sense if this knocks you sideways for a minute, as well as there's so much there to celebrate. And I think that Ray covered that incredibly well. There's also a myth out there that I really want to clarify for you because it seems like a lot of parents in our audience are not aware that this is false and not fact. No doctor in the United States is doing surgery on children because of their gender identity. Nothing's being cut off. No one's being mutilated. 100%, you have to be 18 years or older in order to work with a surgeon for gender-affirming surgery. Now, there are circumstances. When there's genetic issues, That's regardless. That's like outside the scope of this. But if you hear your family trying to spout that rhetoric, like encourage them to Google and see if that's actually true because it's not. And I think that's a big point that people are using to get parents to be anti-gender affirming care, because that is scary to think about. Right. But it's not happening. So please don't let that be a talking point for you. And Kalila, what
5: were
6: your thoughts? I was just over there, like, hemming in heart, like, oh, my goodness, this this, this conversation is so rich. And, like, <clears throat> to what, you know, what you were sharing, Ray, what stuck with me is the whole celebration piece. And as a parent, I'm I'm a godparent a, a in a, a, a gay auntie, <laughs> a shirt with a gay auntie. Um, but when I think about the celebration and exploration, my best friend, uh, my, my godchild, came out as queer, non-binary at the age of nine. You know, that's unheard of. For many of us, you're like, you know, this is something that we maybe explore as our teenage years really didn't say anything or maybe even to our adult years. And, you know, I applauded my friend because they were so supportive to their kids, you know, having a religious background. Their their grandmother was religious and saying, no, I'm going to support my child. And we would talk and how does it, how do we navigate that? How do, how does she navigate that with, you know, the, the grandma or just, you know, friends and family? And it's just more of planting that seed and, and, and letting your ch- ch- um, child know that you're an advocate, you're an ally for them. Um, I think that's sometimes what we may have experienced as children is like, okay, I'm in this, I have this newfound identity and I'm going into this world by myself, but helping your child under know that, Hey, I'm, got, I got your back. I'm here to support you. And even if the time comes where you're having to gain your child's consent and even go before them to talk to parents, to loved ones and say, Hey, this is what's going on to kind of help, you know, support them. That can be that. Um, I was talking to a parent the other night and it was like, okay, I'm, we celebrated in the house, but how do I go to my aunt's and uncle's house where they're going to be like, what is going on? They're pairing masculine or whatever is going on here is. Is there an opportunity to sit with your child and allow them to verbally say, this is who I am and know that you have your support? So I think when we all think about our own experiences and, and um, recall what we would have want to change. And, and for our parents out there, the biggest thing you can do, I think that's um, us as humans, we want that parent to just say, hey, I'm here. I don't know. Back to the messy stuff, <laughs> you know, the, the messy middle. But I'm here to advocate for you. We are going to navigate this. I'm going to defend for you. Be courageous because you are going to get pushback from family members that do not understand pronouns, that do not understand, okay, why is your child dressing a certain way? Why they're expressing themselves this way? But saying that, you know, hey, I'm trying to figure it out, but my number one loyalty is to support my child. So that's one of the ways that I feel that, you know, as caregivers, parents, those that are sharing amongst each other can, can support our youth.
2: Does anyone else want to comment on these conversations with extended family and peers? Um, I think there's this spectrum of people who are not supportive, not going to be supportive. And then there's on the other end, like want to be supportive, but really unsure, uncertain, maybe don't know quite enough, or they're just like terrified of getting it wrong, which is something we talked about at the very beginning here. Um, does anyone else want to speak to how we handle those discussions as parents.
0: I th- I think you nailed it on the head is there's this anxiety around getting it wrong. Um, and especially as parents, we feel like we're a little bit pulled in two different directions. We really want to be there for our kid. And we have a mom and dad who are like, what the hell, <laughs> right? Or we have siblings or we have a church family that we depend on or whatever it is. Right. And so we're kind of, we feel like we're split in these two directions and, it's such this binary concept of which way do i need to go and when in reality this is actually a non-binary concept just like how gender is not binary also being an ally and an advocate and a great daughter or a great sibling those th- those two realities can happen at the same time and once we can open ourselves up to that reality then a lot of the solutions and the strategies of how to communicate well come right to the surface i think a huge part of it is Modeling for your kiddo, how do you have empathy for someone who might act or talk without all the information? How do you have empathy for someone who you really love but isn't acting like they love you, right? And An important point to this is we have data that says that a huge part of our LGBTQ plus youth population, Gen Z essentially, like almost 50% are also neurodiverse, And so a lot of our neurodiverse kiddos are thinking really in black and white, really in binary terms. And so they hear something that grandma says or uncle Bob says, and all of a sudden it's like done. Oh no, the world is ending, right? And sometimes empathy doesn't come naturally for a lot of our neurodiverse kiddos. And so helping them kind of understand this is what it's like to have empathy for someone who's not understanding you at the beginning. It doesn't mean we can't, we don't have boundaries right and so a lot of this is that modeling of behavior for our kids this is what empathy is like for someone who doesn't have all the information and this is a healthy boundary for us to keep our mind safe and to keep our body safe and these two things can happen at the same time it's not a binary concept
1: yeah and i also wanted to acknowledge a couple comments in the chat for those who might not be able to see the chat because i think there was some good information in there Nicole was talking about finding there are times when family is supportive, when it's not close to home and with others, then when it hits their home, there's this dissonance versus uh, of expectation versus reality. And then another uh, participant in the chat said, current struggle, I'm ready to burn all the bridges, but I know that it's not realistic, working on empathy, but it is the thought. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that.
2: Thank you, C." That leads us into a a place to
0: talk about allyship and what allyship can look like. Have you heard about Leaders for Inclusive Change? It's our online class for parents, teachers, and community leaders to learn how to create safe spaces for our LGBTQ youth. This class is typically a DIY online class, but this summer you have the opportunity to take the class live with the two trans teachers who created it join them and other parents and leaders for 6 weeks of incredible learning, community building, and yes, joy. For more info, check out leadersforinclusivechange.com. Class begins in July 2023, so get in there and join us or take the DIY version all year round. leadersforinclusivechange.com.
2: We this conversation was really, you know, originally to be centered around Pride month, but I also know that my, my friends who are members of the LGBT friends and family who are members of the LGBTQ plus community are a little bit like, yeah, pride month is actually a whole year. So, so we're going to center this around pride month, but also like, it's not just a June thing. And, um, so can we talk about allyship and we can talk about it in the context of Pride Month, but how can we use this month um, and this season to increase allyship? And I think that some of those comments in the chat are actually like a great segue into like Kelly, I think, who said, like, I'm ready to burn the bridges. And uh, how can we build bridges to allyship when it's really hard sometimes? Um during this season um, and focus on that being kind of an intention. Elena, do you want to kick us off with that? And then we can, I would love to hear from other panelists.
5: Absolutely. I think if it, if this is really fresh,
0: like when I first came out and when my daughter first came out and I was just so, I was shocked. I was fully unprepared for how much anti-sentiment there is out there. I just wasn't aware. I wasn't aware. And so it was really hard to realize it. And it felt like it was growing and it probably was. And I just had this feeling of like, this is my kid. How can you not love everything about my kid? You are their grandparents, right? Like I just, it was so hard for me to understand. And my therapist kept telling me over and over. I'm sure Ray says this all the time. You have to meet them where they are. <laughs> like you're not going to be able to make any progress with them if if you're demanding that they be over here when they're way over here, right? And even my business coach, because I'm an allyship coach, and I would be like, I would walk into these businesses who are so anti-LGBTQ+, and it just destroyed me to think that my neighbors thought of me and my daughter that way, right? And even she had to be like. You've got to find a way to talk to them in the language that they understand, in the values that they understand. And if anyone knows how to do that, it's you. And so that's when I really started tapping into what did I believe five years ago. What did, what were my values five years ago? And what, what was I thinking? What was my framework? And then being able to get into that and realize like, okay, coming out is actually, this is just an example. Coming out is actually a universal experience. We all come out at some point or another. It might not be around our sexual orientation or our gender identity, but we come out as maybe Catholic in a really Baptist area, or we come out as the mother of an autistic kid, or we come out as a mom who just had a miscarriage. Anytime we're taking like this really vulnerable piece of us and showing it to the world, That's coming out. Right. And so we can apply this universal experience to our kiddo that we're trying to protect and we're trying to educate the people around her. Right. And I have found that to be really, really helpful when we can find these aspects of the LGBTQ plus experience that are actually universal, that we can figure out a way to tap into that universal feeling in our extended family and our peers and such and help bring them instead of just demanding that they move, which honestly, I feel like I spent the first three years doing. And if you're in that space, just be in that space and don't feel like you have to change any minds. It's okay. Eventually, the light will help you find the solutions.
3: One of the things that I always tell um, queer people when it comes to existing in the world is that, because when I first came out, one of the things that I was ready to do was to like, stand up for myself and fight for myself in a way that I didn't have the chance when I was a kid because I didn't have autonomy over my own body. And one of the things that I learned and that I tell every queer person is sometimes the most radical thing you can do is be joyous, Mm -hmm. to exist, to have fun, to love your life. And I say that because the allies will find you. The people who love you will find you. And that is slowly how you build your own community around you. Because even Kelly in the chat, like, it's one of those really difficult things but as a black trans woman I've had to learn it. Sometimes I don't burn the bridge but I'll switch out the car and go to a boat. I I'm <laughs> not going to burn it because that requires too much energy from my own self and hatred and anger mm. that I'm carrying it around and sometimes what you need to do is it's okay. I'm not the best way I can protect myself is distance and boundaries. And so sometimes there are people that you need to they need to realize your value in their life with you gone. And I say that because the same thing has happened with my own father. We're like 10 years ago, he was the main one who just didn't want to be in our lives. Didn't want to actually see me for who I was. And now as life has progressed, he has come to terms with the fact that he is a queer person himself. And that as well, on top of it, that, he, he actually gave me the most beautiful apology for the way that he treated me as a kid. Did it take 28 years to get it? Yes. And did was a lot of that spent being angry? Yes. But my life didn't get better until I realized that I can have a joyous life despite all of it. Despite all of it, no matter what bridge I do have to burn, I can still have a joyous life, have love, find anything that I desire in my life. So I say be yourself, be your authentic self. And even sometimes it doesn't feel like you can, but you can, and you're going to find your community around you who supports you. And for allies, I would say, try your best to put yourself into queer spaces on queer people's terms. And I say that mainly because it'll sound like a challenge, but imagine queer people doing it every day of our lives for you. Because that's what a bunch of queer people do. And I say that with so much love simply because the one thing that we want is to exist as who we are, to get to be together and not have to worry about our safety. And as an ally, when you join our space, what you're saying is there's another person who is willing to fight for us, uh, with us, beside us, when things do get rough. And that's the moment where you feel community support. Because when I moved into this apartment I'm in right now, my neighbor did one of the most affirming things that has ever happened to me. I was just carrying a box in and he looks over at me. And as a trans woman, I'm always thinking about how I'm being perceived. And he looked at me and went, Oh, do you need me to help you carry that box inside? And it was that one little moment of just, I see you. I don't have, I don't have to wave a pride flag. I don't have to do that. I see you. I'm treating you like the person you are. And it was one of the most gratifying moments. So I say it as try to meet queer people on their terms and as well, never be afraid to ask a question, but ask your friend and not the queer people because your friend is your resource for it. And we don't want to have queer people doing labor of educating people as well. That's why you have your circle of friends. So I say it as just one of those energetic things of make sure that you're allowing us to be ourselves and not your educator as well. And all of that said with love. <laughs> oh,
2: that was the entire sermon that we all needed. I, that was amazing. Thank you so much for that. I love that so much. And I saw C put it in the chat, but that sometimes the most radical thing you can do is to be joyous. And I think when it comes to allyship, being able to demonstrate allyship in really joyous, joyful ways with sometimes the like blind assumption that others will follow. And if they don't, to your point, like that's their loss. And I know that I'm saying that from a position of privilege as an ally, that like it's not unsafe for me to celebrate. But I think that when you go into when you celebrate loudly and you know as openly as possible, um, other people over time, it invites other people in over time. I think sometimes the people who are really scared to celebrate at all are like, oh, that's actually what celebration can look like. And it's I think it does start to shift things. Ray, I see mm. your hand. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to, first of all, Junior, that was mm, chef's kiss, amazing. Elena, I wanted to piggyback off your conversation too about trying to advocate for a, a queer child or even advocate for yourself. So my my family is not supportive at all. uh, And that has been a a big challenge in my life over time. And one of the concepts that has really helped me is to think about this idea of natural consequences. And this is something that, speaking of meeting people where they are, people like grandparents or other family members might understand a little bit. And it's this idea of, okay, if you don't love me for who I am, If my partner is never allowed in your house, if you won't refer to me with the right names or name or pronouns, if you don't ask me any questions about my life, the natural consequence is that we're not gonna be close because how would you feel if those things were happening to you? Would you want to be close to me? And that is a frame that is that universal of, oh yeah, that makes sense that my grandchild or you know, relative is pulling away because we're not supporting them.
6: And I'll add this um, last bit here is also to share with your children and others that you're doing the work, right? So back to Junior Mint's point is not about using leveraging queer people as the educator, but to say, hey, if you feel comfortable to do so, I am doing my part of going to workshops. This is what I'm learning from it, and also on part of that, putting it into action, so they can have a well-rounded. Like, okay, you are doing some work. You are trying to make some effort.
5: I want to talk about, on
2: uh, kind of in in contrast to loud and proud, joyous celebrations. I want to make sure that we also address safety um, and well-being for our youth, and I think that that piece is so important, and I know for parents, that piece is really paramount. How can we support safety and well-being for our LGBTQ plus youth all year long beyond Pride Month? And Junior Mint, do you want to kick us off with this one?
3: Sure. I think that one of the best ways to prioritize safety, any kid, but especially queer kids, is honesty and true, honest communication. And I say that because There's certain spaces that a parent will know will not be safe, even with that kid expressing themselves fully. And it's that moment of getting to teach them about the real world, which is it's not always going to be support everywhere. And there are certain moments that as a queer person, you do have to prioritize your safety over expressing yourself because I might not be alive the next day, to be honest. And that's not because of my community. That's because everyone who thinks of queer people as groomers and all the people who do want to attack us. And I say that because my mom never lied to me growing up. She told me about her years in New York. She told me about like her um, relationships with women. She told me about all of these different parts of her life. And she told me about it in a way for me to avoid those potholes. And I say that because I think that we oftentimes can think we need to coddle children when oftentimes what they need is the truth What they because they're seeing the world and they're seeing what's happening. And especially the youth today, they have TikTok, they have Instagram, they're aware of what's happening. And so if they are going to get the honest truth from you, they're going to get it from somebody else. And as a parent, you want to be in your kid's life. And so I say it as be honest with them and as well, make sure that when they're coming to you with honesty, you respect it and you engage with it, and you don't attack it or get defensive. And I know that that's maybe not a specific, like, here's a safety point, but I say it because a bunch of my friends and my community members would have avoided a lot of trauma as a kid if their parents had been honest with them, because they ended up having to discover it by themselves, which is the history of the Black trans community, which is our families are dejecting us. And so now it's time to go and figure out how to exist as a queer person on my own and how to survive. So I would say, be honest and be, and let your kids be honest with you, embrace it. Cause all they're doing is telling you how they feel <laughs> and what is going on with them.
0: Yes. And I think one way that parents can do that is to set up a really schedule, a really regular schedule of checking in and asking specifically Do you feel safe at school these days? Do you feel safe at church these days? When they start a new part-time job, right? Are you feeling safe at, at your job? Are you feeling safe on the soccer team? Are you feeling safe when you go to Uncle Bob's house? Are you feeling safe when grandma and grandpa are here? I know they misgender you sometimes, right? Like checking in and not only making sure they know that their safety is your number one priority and wow, the amount of love that that communicates, but oftentimes They're not going to answer you the first three times you ask, right? They're going to wait until it's a moment that, yes, okay, I need to tell you something because you obviously want to know, right? And so getting into that really incredible habit of just checking in and being really clear, are you feeling safe in this place? And repeating it,
5: that it does so much.
6: I'll quickly add um, therapy. (laughs) therapy, therapy, therapy. We have an opportunity to redefine what conversion therapy and making sure that we have therapists, counselors that are competent about what our community experience. So seeking out LGBTQ therapy, not only for yourself, so you're not projecting on your child, but also to make sure that your child has a safe place to talk. Sometimes, like as you mentioned, Elena, um, they may not want to say something the first two to three times. They may feel better with the practitioner and talking about these different things until they're able to open up. So know that is not taboo, um, but you vet that process out with your child. You interview, but let's make sure that we are providing all forms of holistic, you know, mental and emotional well-being as we're celebrating, um, you know, mental health awareness and these different things that your child feels supported
2: ray i see your point as well in the chat which is i think so helpful in addition to the other comments here helping your child learn to assess for safety how do you know if you feel asking them how do you know if you're safe what does it feel like to be unsafe and having them be able to identify um really Mm -hmm. helpful as well thank you i want to touch on i know some of us are in communities where we get to go to pride parades and there's this like really Open celebration in Pride Month. And some of us are in tiny rural communities where there are not Pride parades, or a Pride parade maybe would be really not safe, or maybe not even legal um, in terms of some of the things that typically happen at a Pride parade. Elena, I know that you wanted to touch a bit on what are the best ways to engage rural conservative communities in Pride Month activities?
5: I think this goes again
0: back to. Where are they and what would be reasonable to expect? For example, there might be, it might be a small in-home celebration where you just invite a few kids in the neighborhood and their parents, right? It it could be talking with your church leaders about what would be appropriate. It might just be as simple as we're going to celebrate families this month and that they can look like anything and everything, right? That might be as overt as that community can handle. And that's great. That's great. Right. And and then we could expand on that and we can go to, is this community ready for a workshop to talk about language, to talk about pronouns? I have found that 80% of people, even in rural small communities, they just want a safe place to ask questions. Maybe 20% of them are really loud and against the entire concept, but trusting that your neighbors, even in rural small communities, 80% of them really just want to know what is this pronoun thing? Right. And and what are these different issues that are coming up? And I don't even know the questions, the words to use anymore, because when I was a kid, we didn't use the word queer. Now the kids are using it all the time. Am I allowed to use the word queer? Right. Like being able to have a really safe place to ask those awkward questions can be vital. It might not be as big as a huge pride barbecue or a pride parade, but you can make a huge amount of difference just really keying in to who is the audience and what are they ready for? And let's take them one step
3: further. I agree. And I, I think that like, just to add on top of it, anything is better than nothing. Anything is better than nothing because at least even if it's just an Easter egg hunt that is masquerading for them as pride, something that lets them know that there are these people in this world that they could be in community with because it's hard to imagine what you can be when you never saw anything besides one thing. And so exactly what you said, Elena, literally anything, even if it, it, Even if it's not even like a celebration, it's just like we're sitting around and watching a queer movie. Like, you know what I mean? It can be anything. And there's so many different ends for how to get people to feel comfortable with the conversation. And so, yeah, you nailed it, Elena.
2: I see Kristen's comment as well in the chat. One thing over no thing. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. And the Mm -hmm. impact of that one thing, even if it's only for one or two or three people, it can't be overstated how deeply significant that can be. And I think that sometimes when we think like, oh, it's only going to impact a few people, but like it could be, do we have to look at like, what could that long, what's the longevity of that impact for those, you know, for potentially even just for a few people can be really, really huge, especially if there's not a lot of places to be seen or to be seen safely.
3: Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that many people at Stonewall and they, and look, exactly. at, look, look at that. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Something just popped in my head and feels important. Find If you're in a rural, small community, find the place where the queer kids are likely hanging out. It's probably the coffee shop or the game store or the comic book store. Find that place where they're hanging out and help them put on a mini something, right? It doesn't have to be advertised because those kids are already there. So support where it might be the library, wherever the queer kids in your community are hanging out, support them and being able to create a, a queer joy moment in the month of June.
2: I love that. I want to make sure we touch on intersectionality when we're talking about Pride Month and we're looking at, all the layers of identity that people can bring to celebrations and to any experience and to any way that they show up in community. Kalila, can you talk about how we can support our youth's various
6: intersectionalities during Pride Month? Yeah, so I am Black, so <laughs> that's that's one thing. But no, seriously, folks, understanding whether if you're Black or you, you have a different ethnic, ethnic background or just various di- diversity that we have, neurodivergence, all of these different things, but to help our our, our Black youth, I'll speak in that, that respect, to honor who they are. You know, when we look at our Black ancestors and we know the history of this country is the resilience, the grit, so it's, it's, it's embedded into your DNA and understanding that there's different levels. And understanding there's challenges because it's not only, you know, you're dealing with the challenges of being black and your blackness and embracing that, but also this added layer of your queerness or your transness. And how do you bring all of that together? And surprisingly, we, we celebrate Juneteenth as well. So it's collectively letting your child know that they are are rich in, in who they are um, and that, to honor that. You know, we need to know, we know we we're teaching our school system about the War of 1812, all these different things. But we don't hear about Bayard Rustin. That's that's the that's the mark behind, you know, MLK, uh, Marsha P. Johnson. Some of these figures that our young folks can grab strength from and resilience from and say, you know what, I connect with that story. I connect with who these people are so that they can see themselves in that. So it's really just helping. Um, our folks celebrate, um, you know, their their blackness, their queerness, and the other identities that they're they're layered with, and, and all of it that is beautiful. And you know, to just show up as you are, as your beautiful self. So that's what I would say for our, our parents that are are navigating that and and wanting
5: to support their children.
6: Thank you, Kalila, and also thank you for the shout out for Juneteenth.
2: Yes, because we have overlapping celebrations in June for sure. Really, really important. In our last few minutes, so I just want to help people with time here. So we have three minutes till the top of the hour. We're going to stay on for a little while after to take some questions for people who want to stick around for that. But before we get into Q&A and in using our last few minutes here in kind of presentation mode. I want to make sure that we give everyone a chance to promote their goodness in terms of what our panelists have to offer the world. And they represent so many gifts and have so many wonderful things to offer. And then I also have a question and I have to shout out to Junior Mint for this final question. One of the things that Junior Mint brought up when we were thinking of like, what's a good closing question? And you said that you had to do a lot of reparenting of yourself in order to be able to show up in all of the ways that you get to show up in your glory today. So for all of our panelists, can you talk about one thing that you've had to do to reparent yourself? Um, and then can you also share where people can get all the great things that you have to offer in the world, whether it's a book or a makeup line or a podcast or coaching or anything else? And Junior since you inspired the question, you get to go first.
3: I would say the thing that I have really had to work on with reparenting myself is putting myself first. So growing up, Basically, a lot of the energy in the house was very much, we're going along to get along. We grew up very poor. We grew up without many resources. So it was kind of like we were all in the same boat together. And so the last thing you're thinking about is individually what you want. And... I it took me so long in order to even like do something like laser hair removal, which is just something very simple in the span of like gender-affirming process procedures you can get done. And it took me so long because I was thinking about putting everybody else's thoughts of me before me. So like, besides how I would feel when I look in the mirror at my body, I would be like, well, how is my mom going to do with this change? Or when I have to look at my brothers, what are they going to be thinking? And the last person I was thinking about their happiness was myself. And so that is one of the biggest reparenting things that I've had to do. And it's been really, really helpful because with my chosen family, my close community in New York, they have reminded me that I am a priority because oftentimes other people can see things within you that you don't even see within yourself. And they saw the backseat that I was putting myself in. So reparenting, but it really came from like me and my community because growth never happens in a vacuum. It always involves your allies and the people who are there with you. And as a side note, it's been amazing because I've been teaching my mom to put herself first too. Now, and it has been amazing. She just got a turtle, so she's doing good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it, mm-hmm. love it, and. As for plugging by the oh, y'all better work. Y'all really move fast with the chat. But in the chat, you will see my own makeup line. Um, it is in fact the first black trans-owned makeup line in the world. Um, we are in 650 JC pennies. And on the page, you will notice that. Every model is Black and trans. Every single makeup artist is Black and trans. It is about getting everybody to see the beauty that is Black transness without having to change any part of myself to get there. And so, yes, if you want it, support it. You're going to be paying a Black trans woman and as well. I guarantee you, go to a JCPenney. We have been training all of the JCPenney employees as to how to speak to queer people, how to address queer people, pronouns. So we've been educating JCPenney while while they have been giving us money. So work. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. So the team is ready for queer people.
2: (laughs) So good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that.
4: Uh, so if there's one thing I could tell my younger self and absolutely resonate junior men with this idea of reparenting myself, I definitely had to do that. If I could go back and take me of today and to talk to little, little Ray, I would tell them they aren't broken. You know, I I think I spent a lot of growing up feeling like there was something wrong with me and I didn't, I didn't have words for it. I didn't know what it was, but I felt like something was off. And in the environment that I was in, it, I, I very much felt broken for a long time and I don't anymore. And that is a really beautiful thing. And I wish I, I could have learned that younger, which is why I'm really excited to be talking to all of you because this is the next generation of teaching youth and kids that they aren't broken. And that's a really beautiful thing. And see, you're so on it. So I have a book that is coming out on May 30th. Here it is. It's called Gender Magic. Uh, live shamelessly, reclaim your do- joy and step into your most authentic self. Please do pick up a copy. You can check it out, read more about it at gendermagic.com. And my hub is Instagram, which you can also find in the chat, but it's at the Ray McDaniel. that's e.com. There's also a link for a mailing list and, and the book there.
2: Thank you, Ray. The book is going to be phenomenal. I mean, the book is phenomenal, but it will be phenomenal for people who get access to it starting May 31st,
4: May 30th,
2: May 30th, May 30th, two yes. weeks, PS pre-orders matter. Go get in your pre-orders.
4: <laughs> yes, please. Please buy. Many, we want Ray many to get, make
2: all the lists and you make lists by getting pre-orders. So go get all your pre-orders in. Kalila. you want to go for it?
6: Um, what would I tell? And I'm actually was thinking about it while we were sharing. Um, And I actually kind of go back to when I came out to my dad and there was a short piece that he shared with me that changed my life. And he said, I will never turn my back on you. That stuck with me when I had to do the shadow work and the inner work of reparenting myself was I'm not going to turn my back on you. I love you and I accept you. So I may have not heard that in the early on years for my mom and my dad, but the younger Kalila needed that to know that I love you, I accept you, I'm here for you, I support you and that's what i will share for my younger self as far as in staying with connecting staying connected to me i'm primarily on um, instagram and also on linkedin um so i do coaching and speaking engagements. so you could check all of that in Kalila j and actually this has been inspiring me i've been getting a lot of conversations the universe has a funny way of doing things i've been having most recently a lot of parents come to me and say hey you know, you live your life a lot. Can you talk to me about this? So I have been um, in, in the space of um, in the fall coming out with something, a course, or some um, rather for our parents, because I focus more on queer spirituality. How do I support my child when I may have my faith against what I know in, in queerness? So join my mailing list. That's something I'll be coming out um in the fall. I'll have something out for the parents for that. Thank you.
2: And thank you for digging into that component because I know that's a big, a huge piece of this for so many people is that trying to rectify that intersection of religion and um, sexuality, gender, and all of that. Thank you. Elena. I
0: would say one of the biggest ways that i Had to reparent myself and I am still reparenting myself is trusting my emotions. I mean, it had to start with like even recognizing my emotions. There's a reason why I didn't come out to myself till I was 37 because I had shut down my emotions so concretely at such a young age. And it doesn't even matter why it just was. And I think a lot of LGBTQ people go through that, but also everyone. And so I think that that has been instrumental for me is first understanding I have emotions and they're valid and they can be trusted and I can tap into that intuition. It can be an actually a really powerful thing. Now what's funny is that now that my emotions are online, they're always like right here. I can cry at the drop of a hat. (laughs) Like I can go from sad to happy, incredibly fast. Like it's a little ridiculous, but I really love to feel now. Like it's it's like a luxury being able to feel my emotions at the depth that they are now. It's so, it's so great. Okay. So the thing that I would share would be our class leaders for inclusive change. Um, you'll the opportunity to, to learn from two trans high school teachers is just, we might not have that opportunity
5: for very long. So let's grab it while we can. Yeah.
2: Thank you, Elena. And see, Oh my goodness. See, huge shout out, huge cheers and thank yous for all of the work you've done in the chat. So on top of things. And I would also love to post that last question to you. What have you done to reparent yourself
1: and Um, anything you would
5: like to promote as well? Yeah, I've,
1: I've done a lot of like self-awareness and self-reflecting and thinking about how to Navigate the world and my emotions, mainly, because I think in my parenting, it was shoving them down. And so I've done a lot of work with recognizing my emotions. My anxiety has a name, Alexander. And so, you know, doing that. But then also, I walked into myself and said, actually, I can do something like this is for me. And so I'm about to graduate with an MFA in writing. And I'm very proud of that in myself. I'm 37 years old. It's been a dream of mine since I was younger. And so just knowing that it's, you know, there are things for us. We don't have to limit ourselves or things like that. So thank you, C.
2: Thank you, panelists and Elena and C for putting on such an incredible event. What an honor to be a part of it. Thank you
1: all for giving your time and your energy. It has been so rewarding to work alongside of you all. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It was phenomenal.
0: So glad. And we never did do a shout out for our board members that were here, but so grateful for them, for Kristen, Caitlin, and Noel. Thank you so much for being here helping keep our community safe and advocating. So grateful. Thank you, everyone. We are done. Thank you for joining us for this incredible event. Our attendees donated generously and due to that we are keeping the lights on for another few months. We are seeking additional board members as well as sponsors for future events. Please email admin at prideandjoyfoundation.com to learn more about those opportunities or contact us through our website, prideandjoyfoundation.com. We would love to get to know you better. This has been another episode of Out of Curiosity. I'm your host, Elena Joy. Thank you for being with us today. Until next time, be good to yourselves, fam.
5: I appreciate you.